0: We're here on the Nick Ant Podcast. This is Jordan Leffler, straight out of Montana. This guy is a recent Glacier National Park Conservancy Award winner. And he is a photographer and videographer. Jordan, what do you do for a living?
1: Uh, I actually do video and photo full-time. So I I go, um, I do everything from documentary work um, to uh, private work for you know corporations organizations um uh corporate work uh you know my own personal projects uh weddings uh pretty much the whole gamut
0: so are you would you call yourself a freelancer or would you call yourself a business entity i mean it could be both
1: yeah yeah i uh probably freelancer is good good way freelancer. to do it yeah I do partner. Uh, with my brother, Logan, and he and I pretty much do everything together. Um, all of our video work is mostly just he and I working together. Um, and so it's it's nice to have him to, to help me. And then, uh, you know, we know know a few other people that we work with on projects here and there. Awesome.
0: So give me this feel. When did you pick up the camera? Was it when you were a kid? Was it late in life? Did your, the way you grew up have to play into you using a camera today? How did it all start?
1: Yeah, so I actually got a skateboard for my like my 10th birthday and um, picked up skateboarding. And then pretty soon after, I have two brothers. My, both my brothers got skateboards. And then uh, a few of our cousins got skateboards. And then we had uh, other kids in the school getting skateboards and pretty much pretty soon there was just, you know, a whole handful of us that started skateboarding around our tiny little town here in Montana. And uh, it wasn't soon after that where we were seeing what the professional skateboarders were doing, you know. And uh, we we got our first camera, and we started filming filming skateboard videos. And then, you know, pretty soon that transitioned to, I'm sure, every uh, young... Male growing up, filmed a jackass video or two. <laughs> so you guys started- are
0: filming stunts?
1: <laughs> yep, yep, some stunts. Um, and then we started into uh, sketch comedy or we doing some sketch comedy. Me and my friends, um, and that kind of went on through through college. And uh, then once I once I got out of college, I was like, I can make a make a career out of this.
0: So pretty much. For a long time, you've always known you wanted to do something with a camera. Was there ever a time like that you wanted to do something else, or was it always, "I'm gonna do some with
1: a camera"? It was pretty much, pretty much, you know, since the beginning. I always gravitated toward that and creative storytelling and uh, film, photography, and video editing. So as far back as I can remember, this is what I. I knew I wanted to do. So I feel very blessed that I, I I figured that out early on.
0: You were one of the very few to figure it out that young. I was fortunate to get into videography when I was a sophomore in high school. So okay. I can relate to you on that aspect. Just I've had a camera since then. I retired for probably a year because I was doing other things. And then I came back mm-hmm. to it like this is
1: what drives us. Yeah, yeah. So
0: you went to college. Did you go to college for video or did you go to college for like something else?
1: So I went to the university of Montana in Missoula, Montana, and I went to the media Arts school. So it was, uh, at the time it was, um, like a split track where I learned both graphic design, Photoshop, illustrator, and, uh, film on the other side of it. So we, we learned, you know, how to use final cut and, uh, yeah, you know, how to set up interviews and um run cameras. So I got I feel like I got the best of both worlds.
0: Okay, so you went to college. A lot of people in this space don't go to college for that. <laughs> they always recommend don't go, all that. What is your opinion on that? Do should they go? Should they not go? What do you think?
1: Um I think it's up to the individual. Um, there are, I feel like there's, there's people that kind of need a structured learning and, uh, kind of need that, need that routine to wake up and go to class and learn something every day and have a project that the, the professor, you know, puts in front of them that they need to, to work towards. But then there's other people I feel like can, you know, wake up watch 10 YouTube videos a day and, uh, learn everything they need to know from that. And I know, um, I actually didn't take any, uh, photography classes in, in school because they had drawing prerequisites I had to take. And I was like, I don't have, I don't have time. (laughs) So I didn't actually do any still photography. Um, so like most, most of that I picked up after college just through YouTube and, you know, going out trial and error with my brother. And, um, so I, I'm definitely a believer that you could do either. I mean, college isn't for everybody. Uh, so if you, if you feel like you're self-motivated enough to, to go out and learn on your own, then go for it.
0: One last thing on that. So you did it for video. Would you say you've learned a lot of stuff on the job as in for video production as well as photography? Like there's things that probably school couldn't have taught you, and maybe you had to failed a couple failed a couple times on set to realize, oh, maybe I needed to
1: do this. Yeah. So the the uh, the school I went to was a lot more focused on, I would say, the kind of traditional Hollywood style of filmmaking, where it's you know a bunch of people on one set working. Towards one film, and I think the the game has changed so much that uh, a single person can go can go and do you know the 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 work of a whole crew almost because the equipment's much more forgiving. It's higher quality, you know, and technology's just advanced so much that um, I I did learn once I got out there how to do a lot more. Uh, by myself, and instead of just focusing on, um, you know, being the the gopher on a Hollywood set who has to work his way up to like finally being the cameraman after you know ten years, um, so it was kind of like a a learning curve where I I did have to learn to be be a little bit more independent and to uh, to learn to wear many hats rather than um, just focus on one thing in particular.
0: That's awesome to hear because as a newcomer into this space I'm doing a couple of video productions and I'm quickly realizing oh I need to make sure I have enough time to set up my audio equipment my lighting equipment my camera is my transmitter going to my audio right and that's so true I'm people don't realize how much soloists do and then once the budget gets bigger then you're allowed to have someone come help you and then you're like (sighs) You're like, okay, now, now yeah. I have a
1: guy
0: yeah. setting up my lighting for me and I can focus on the overall story of what's going on,
1: right? Right, right. And I, I definitely think that uh, there are, you know, if you show up with more guys on a crew, um, it takes less time. Oftentimes it's a, you know, somebody might be an expert on audio or an expert on something. And so you can get uh, – maybe a more high-quality, finished, you know, polished project. But it's amazing what one guy can get accomplished with all the tools we have available today. And I do – I am lucky to have my brother so that when we do – when we, you know, oftentimes we can be like, okay, only one of us needs to go to this. Like it's simple, maybe a two-camera setup, you know, to film one person. But if it's like we're driving across the state and we have – you know, three stops and we got five interviews and, uh, we'll be like, okay, this is a two, two man job. We're going to need to show up with lights. We're going to need to show up with, you know, four cameras, drone, all that. So there's definitely times when we pick and choose Mm -hmm. when to be solo, when we can, uh, manage it with two people and whatnot.
0: Man, Jordan, what's it like to share this with your brother? I mean, you guys share the same passion that you think that like you guys play off each other. And yeah. what's it like to share with a member?
1: Definitely. Uh, so my my little brother Logan, he's one of my best friends. So we uh, we do everything together: fishing, hiking, um, photography. You know, road trips. Um, I I'd say probably eighty percent of the time I'm taking photos, I'm with him, and uh, it's it's great. He I learn a lot of things from him. I think he learns a lot of things from me. Um, and I know I can count on him. I know I can rely on him to, to get the job done when, you know, I'm, I'm not there, or I know I can lean on him to help me when, when, uh, I do need him, but we have a great, great working relationship and great, you know, personal relationship. We're very close. So it it's, uh, I do feel, feel very blessed to have him in my corner. He wasn't quite as as lucky as I was, he didn't, uh, he didn't know what he wanted to do up until a few years ago. (laughs) So he, he went into college thinking maybe he was going to do some, uh, like, be like a personal trainer. And then he thought maybe he was going to get into business. And, uh, he did actually end up, um, dabbling in media arts a little bit. He took a few media arts classes, um, but graduated with a business degree. And, uh, then after he graduated, that's when like he picked up photography and videography and um, just took off with it. And so it's it helps to have me with you know my background that's more focused on the media arts, and then um, him to have some of his background with the 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 business degree that he got. So I think we make a good pair.
0: It's awesome. And to add on to that, I know I've worked with my dad on projects. And there's just a different level of trust you have with a family member. I don't know what it yeah. is. I mean, you grew up with them your whole life. So there's just that connection that flows easy. So when you guys are working together, you're like, oh, yeah, my bro's got this. And oh, I yeah. can imagine that's like
1: a really awesome feeling to have. Yeah. And we actually had a, um, we filmed a video for our, our high school that went viral. It was about, um, it was a suicide awareness video. And it ended up getting a million and a half views on Facebook oh, really? and uh, it got like national attention. And wow. we had this news crew or not a news crew. We had a film crew come out from New York and um, <laughs> I sat in on some of the shoots that they did mm-hmm. and just like one guy's from Russia, one guy's from this place, one guy's from this place and they they didn't really mesh very well. There was a lot of arguing and there's a lot of um, contentious situations. And, um, I was like, I am blessed to have my brother, (laughs) like rarely ever do we, do we butt heads. And so like, to your point, um, it's nice to have somebody in your corner that, you know, has your back that, you know, you can rely on and, um, you can, you can, you know, joke with them. You can, you know, it's not all serious. And so, you know, if I'm, if I'm stressed out, he can help me take the edge off. Same, same with him. If he's stressed, I know what, what'll help him loosen up. So it's a great, great thing to have is, uh, working, working with my brother.
0: All right. So I remember you telling me a while ago now that you grew up on an Indian reservation. So have you always been there your entire life? And does that play a role in how you take photos now?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, we, we went to the, the high school. Um, so our town is called Arlee, A-R-L-E-E, Montana, and it's on the Flathead Indian reservation and it's just North of Missoula about 25 miles. And, uh, we, we lived here pretty much our whole life. Um, Lived in Missoula for a few years, just recently, and then moved back this year to Lee. But uh, pretty much our whole lives, we lived here and went to the school here. And I feel like it was a very, uh, it was a really good upbringing that we had here. Um, our our grandma is an enrolled member of the Salish tribe here, and uh, which makes me and my brothers uh, for second descendants. And so. Growing up, we were we were exposed to a lot of the Native American culture around here, and even in elementary school, I remember we had um, Salish language class, and so we had a, wow. a teacher who would come in and she would uh, teach us Salish words, like uh, all the animals. Um, we learned like basic uh, addition and subtraction, and um, Everybody got to pick a Salish name. So mine is Sinchele, which is coyote. And um, even today I'll see my Salish teacher and, you know, that might've been 20 years ago. And she, she always, uh, she always recognizes me and says, which is like, good morning, coyote. And uh, so I feel like we were, we were very blessed to grow up and be exposed to that. And That culture of, um, you know, you hear about early Native Americans when they'd go bison hunting and they would kill a bison and they would use every single part of it. You know, they'd use the bones for certain things. They'd use even the bladder from the bison. They would, you know, empty it out and it would become something to carry water in or something. Um, So it was like a, it's like a culture of um, respecting wildlife, respecting the land and, um, you know, not wasting, um, not taking more than you need. And so I, I do feel like that has played a big role on, um, focusing my photography on wildlife and landscapes and, uh, you know, using that medium to educate people to, um, share the beauty of our our natural and public lands here in Montana and helping people respect those those natural spaces so that uh, people for you know the next generation can can enjoy the same places that we do.
0: That's amazing and I want to touch on the thing you told me just recently that we shared a common, me and you both are both videographers for our high school for the sports teams. So you also wrestled I remember you telling me and you videoed for football. What was all that balance? Like were you, you were playing sports, you were videoing, like what was all that, what was going on there?
1: Yeah. So I, both my brother and I wrestled from kindergarten through our senior year in high school. So we had a long, long stint and we did the summer wrestling and, Um, I think in a big way that, that helps shape us. And I'm sure, you know, how hard wrestling Mm. is and, um, it being a a solo sport, there's like nobody else to, to depend on, but yourself and (laughs) yeah, you can't point the finger at a teammate for, you know, a shot that they missed or whatever. It's like, you can only blame yourself. And I think, uh, that, that definitely shaped me and my brother and, um, you know, our work ethic and I didn't actually start uh, filming my high school until the year after I graduated. So when I graduated, uh, my little brother was still in high school, and um, I remember uh, when I was in high school, our wrestling coach made us a, a highlight videotape, and it was about twenty minutes long, and it you know had all the all the kids on our on our team you know it was set to music, and I just remember thinking like how cool that was. And how moving it was for me to just like see all of us up on there to this awesome music soundtrack. And we're doing, you know, the best moves that we've done all season and just how, how moving that was. And I wanted to keep that going. So the year after I graduated, I, I kept the tradition alive. And, um, you know, I made a highlight video for my, my little brother's wrestling team. Uh, I did it for the football team. And then, uh, after my brother graduated a couple years later, I, 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 still kept it going and I got him to help me. And then by that time we had, we had done, um, uh, football, wrestling, boys and girls, basketball, and even volleyball. And, uh, this is a, a school where we are class C in Montana, which is almost the, like the smallest class. There's a, There might be one or two below us, but we have anywhere from like 100 to 120 kids in the high school at any time. Wow. Yeah. I think there was 110 when I graduated and, uh, I think it was, it was a fun experience to, to be able to provide that for our, our, uh, our community and, um, our school, these like really high quality, uh, videos that, um kind of our, our whole community could, could rally around. I remember us doing um, community dinners and showing the highlight videos, and it was a really cool thing for us. And um, we had, I think it was like four, five years ago, we actually had a, uh, a in about a two-week span, we had about seven suicides in our in our town of 600 people. And it uh, it was the the thing I mentioned earlier. We, we got together with the, the high school boys basketball team and we filmed a, uh, a video as they were going to the state tournament, like the next day. So we filmed this video and um, uh, posted it on Facebook. And it it just went viral and the boys ended up winning the state championship
0: oh, that's awesome and
1: uh we had this video that go out that was like really powerful and really moving um yeah. and it was you know young young adults um in high school talking about suicide and the problems with suicide and kind of breaking the stigma that it's not okay to you know talk about that thing and um we got the the uh the governor from New Jersey sent us a video with our governor from Montana. We got um, we got the attention of, of Nike, and they actually invited our basketball team down to their campus in Oregon, and uh, we stayed there for a few days. And yeah, oh,
0: dude, and we got the um, whole works.
1: Yeah, the uh, the the school got brand new Nike uh, N Seven, which is their Native American themed. Um, line of clothing they got school got brand new and seven basketball jerseys for both the boys and the girls and uh it ended up we got like a like a twenty thousand dollar grant i think for um the uh uh the school system for to put in you know better practices for mental health and so a lot of a lot of good things happened um just from you know us taking the time to to film these kids and sports, and it it was a really cool, really cool experience. And um, I think it was uh, it changed a lot of people's people's lives, and um, it just I, I think it showed, just shows the power of power of video. And how how that can affect people, and how much how how much change you can make just through just through video.
0: You know, a hundred percent agree. I started out with video in high school, and then I always said a photography is boring. I'm never going to do it because video is so much more exciting. And then I switched over to photography, abandoned video. So now here I am, four years later, now trying to learn video again, and now that I'm getting better at understanding how to tell stories, and I'm like, when it makes me feel something, then I realize, oh, wow, this is going to make someone else like feel yeah. something, right? And like, that's yeah. a special feeling. And for your video to go viral, that is amazing, especially, you said your town is 600 people? 600 people, yeah. And your whole entire high school at that time is just 100 people.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. So, I want to point this out, okay? <laughs> my high school, my grad, my senior class only, our graduating class was seven hundred people. Just <laughs> oh the senior God. class, <laughs> bigger so, than our
1: our whole town. <laughs>
0: so I think about it. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that is <laughs> okay. So all four <laughs> classes. That's probably around. We had about two thousand kids at our school. Wow. That, so, yeah, it's special that it went out and affected that many people. But I think it probably feels better to you that the people who you see every day in the grocery store in the, the feed store and all that stuff like that, that hits a lot harder because those are the people that, you know, them, you see them every day. And yeah, that's probably where it's different to you. I mean, at least I think that would hit different to me.
1: Yeah, it was. And we had, um, we had people messaging the basketball. We had a Facebook page for the team. We had people messaging the basketball team, Facebook, um, saying, you know, this video saved my life or this video saved my son's life. Um, and, uh, I have a, I have a kid that I, um, uh, that saw that video and he actually, you know, reported it from another town. This kid, uh, saw the video and he, he reported, uh, um, uh, a note that one of his friends left. Um, and, the the teachers and everybody were able to intervene before anything was able to happen to her. And I still keep in contact with him and his mom. And, uh, he's now, I think he was in seventh or eighth grade and he's now a senior. So it's, it's cool to see, um, see kind of the ripples that have come from that and, uh, to see, you know, that we, we did a lot of good in our, in our own community and, um, And you know, elsewhere in Montana, and um, he's a he's a Native American kid, and uh, so it makes me feel good that um, that our message was able to you know to get out to other people, and um, just goes back to the power of video. And I, I you know, back in the day, I was wasn't the most uh, you know outgoing and you know spoken person, a little shy. Uh, but through the power of video, it's like, that's where you can find your voice. You don't need to, you know, get up on a podium and speak to, speak to a bunch of people. It's like, if you have a voice and you want to use it and you know how to use, use video well, you can, you can reach a lot of people and do a lot of good.
0: You know, what they
1: say is art is
0: a form of expression. And I know a couple of people, fantastic photographers right fantastic mm-hmm. and you get them on camera or you talk to them they're they can't talk that well but yeah. they can express a whole story in movie just through photos
1: right a single and
0: image it's crazy they're like yeah but when you talk to them they're like they can't talk it's right, crazy right that everyone has their own medium mm-hmm. yeah and everybody's got I their do voice think that you can learn different skills but i think that you always are going to have your strongest one that comes natural. Mm-hmm. So for some people, it's photography. Some people, it's doing sculptures. For you, it's doing video. And I think that's pretty awesome, especially with nowadays that you can share all of that at all times. That's yeah. pretty special. I want to talk about this. Montana is considered one of the last natural areas in the United States, especially in the lower 48. Obviously, you have Alaska, but nobody visits there. So Montana is <laughs> pretty much the last wild in the United States in the lower 48. Does preserving the land play an important role in your photography? Because people don't live there, right? So the population there is small. And nowadays you got people traveling, geotagging on Instagram, mm-hmm. TikTok, and all stuff like that. Does protecting your home play a role in your photography? I mean, I know you go to all these beautiful places and you don't share it. And I'm you don't know, share where it's at. I'm fine with that. I don't want people to mess that up. Yeah. I mean, I have national forests right down the street from me. And Mm -hmm. I don't share those smaller places because they can't handle the crazy crowds. One, two, I would be upset if the whole area got messed up. So what's it like for you? Do you feel a responsibility as a photographer to uh, protect
1: your home? Yeah. So our, one of our, our state slogans is the last best place that we kind of tout, you know, like you said, as being being one of the last places that's beautiful and wild and undiscovered. And um, I actually just finished a film, documentary film, uh, in the spring, and we titled it The Best Last Place, which was a play off that. And it chronicled pre, like a few months before covid all the way through the pandemic up until um, you, just recently. And what we're seeing here in Montana is a huge influx of out-of-state people coming in uh, for multiple reasons. Uh, you know, you have people that just – they've seen the beauty in Montana and they want a little piece of that for themselves. Um, they want to be closer to, you know, places like Glacier or Whitefish um, – Big Sky, the ski hill, and then you had a lot of people. Uh, we call them COVID refugees that were, you know, looking to get out of a big city because of um, every all the the hoops we had to jump through with COVID, and they're looking for, you know, yeah. wide open spaces. And um, a lot of the, what we're seeing here in Montana is our land and our houses are being bought by out of state. Owners, and they might come and stay there for a few months in the summer when the weather's nice. Uh, But other than that, they will Airbnb the house out, or um, the house might just you know stay dormant. And it's putting a lot of pressure on our 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 housing markets are our towns, uh, because you have this house that somebody owns and it's only available for Airbnb. And so that house is then off the market for somebody who, you know, might want to move to a town of 600 and, uh, become a teacher. You know, if we needed a teacher here, there, there might not be any housing because it's just not available. And we actually did a, um, in our documentary, we, we touched on, you know, Kalispell and what they're seeing up there. Um, the, the park and what kind of traffic is coming through glacier and over to Bozeman, which is the fastest growing city in Montana. And, um, yeah, but we, we really focused on this little town called Phillipsburg and it's a little mining community that had a, it was almost a ghost town, very close to becoming a ghost town, and had a resurgence in the the uh, '90s. And um, it like has won multiple national awards for like the cutest little town, the best you know, um, best painted town. And it's this really really neat place, um, and that's where I work uh, with. A, a guy on documentaries named Jim Jenner and he and I have done uh, I think four documentaries together as well as countless other projects but um, we really focused on Phillipsburg because it's kind of a, a microcosm of what's happening everywhere else throughout the state and I think something like 10% of the the housing in Phillipsburg is um, off the market. It's Airbnbs and, um, they, they are losing, uh, enrollment in the school because they can't find teachers and they can't find teachers because there's no housing available. And so it's, it's kind of a scary, um, scary situation we're looking at here in Montana, but, um, you know, to tie it back to my photography, I, I'm very careful about, you know, what I, what I post and, you know, where, where I might say it's at, um, a lot of the time I'm not going to say where it's at because, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the, with social media and how, you know, one Mm -hmm. spot might just like one post might just ruin a spot for the, you know, foreseeable future. And so a lot of my photography is, um, I keep it quiet where I shoot and, um, I'm sorry if, if you've commented on one of my posts and asked and I didn't (laughs) respond, but, um, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to kind of let that secret out because, um, you have a lot of people who aren't really educated in leave no trace principles and, you know, staying on trails, um, not, not throwing trash on the ground. Um, so if you, if you get a lot of people that aren't really you know that educated flocking to a spot, um, it can ruin the, ruin the plants, ruin the flowers. Um, one of the things that drives me nuts in Glacier is seeing people feeding the, uh, like the squirrels and the chipmunks oh, no. and yeah. all the little animals. You know, it's like you don't realize how detrimental that is to it's, them. It's a chain. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and like these these animals are then going to be no longer self sufficient they're not going to know how to forage and find food on their own and you know other animals might rely on that animal for a um for food or might rely on that animal in you know a lot of indirect ways but it's like i don't know just so easily you can kind of throw off the ecosystem of a of a place by not not practicing the leave no trace principles which you know go all the way from Staying on trail, not trampling flowers to feeding animals and whatever else in between.
0: So, you know, a part of the leave no trace principles is to not share locations.
1: Yes. And yes.
0: The part where I'm kind of confused about Jordan is this whole Google Earth trend thing, right? <laughs> they, they, pin, they pin the location, Kay. So they're pinning some like discrete locations. And then in the caption, it says, Leave no trace. So, I'm, I'm just a little bit confused about that. And a lot of people aren't willing to take the time to search these places up, which is why they rely on these Instagrammers mm-hmm. to show these locations. The yeah. Instagrammers are posting these because it gets them views. And then they say leave no trace, but that's not really leaving no trace. And I know that I, I try... To not share anything, which I don't ever really, because I want to protect these places and mm-hmm. obviously like people just don't put in the work to find these places. You can find them if you look hard enough. Like I yeah. don't know, I feel bad asking. Like sometimes people, like even friends, I don't even want to ask them sometimes I'm like, bro, like I promise I'm probably not gonna share it. But sometimes I was going Google Earth, I find it for myself or you do do enough deep enough research. You can find these places. Right. But at that point, if you're doing that much research on a place you're more likely to respect the place. At least I think so, because there's some places I found, like I looked really, really hard to find them in mm-hmm. because I know I found it. And like, I was like, not nah, many people could find this. Like I'm going to go over there and I'm going to treat it with respect. Yeah. I'm not going to tell anybody about it. Take a yeah. photo. I'm going to leave. Cause I know Yosemite. You've, have you been to Yosemite? I haven't yet. It's on the list. Okay. okay so you've, probably seen pictures every spot so you probably feel like you've already been there right (laughs) and you we have our fair share of tourists and one thing that they do is they leave plastic sleds there and the plastic sleds break on the snow and so they just leave it and that's a huge problem right now because we have animals getting introduced to plastic and i know one time i was on the trail on the waterfall trail and this couple They were sitting there. Think girlfriend was recording. Guy was feeding the squirrel cheetahs. I was literally watching this. And they look at me. Stop recording. Put the cheetahs away. So what's crazy is some people know that it's not okay. Right. I'm sure for you, being in Glacier, it's an up-and-coming national park in terms of popularity and all that. So you're starting to finally see all those crazy tourists that I mm-hmm. see all the time. I see them all the time, man. Yeah. So for you, you guys are like, been chilling all this time. All of a sudden, all of the people are coming. You're like, kind of questioning if people know anything. You're like, wow. you know, needs to be like an education class before they walk in the park. Like, here are the rules. I mean, you have it on the maps, but how much more do you need? Right. What can we do to uh, help improve this awareness of protecting the parks? I yeah.
1: Think? You know, it's it's funny you you talk about that map transition trend, Nick. Because I it was about two years ago, I did a hike and I figured out how to do that Google like zoom in thing, and I was like, "Whoa, this is really awesome! I can pretty much match the shot in Google of the the photo that I took, and I created one." And but I was like do I really want to post this? And I thought about it and I was like, no, I, this doesn't like, this goes against leave no trace principles. So even though it was like really cool and I thought it was pretty clever, I was like, it's probably isn't best that I post this though. I never did. And to see that trending now, it's just kind of like, I don't know. It's kind of sad. And like you, you said, our, yeah. our park is getting, Uh, a big influx of people and we get, I think we get 3 million people through our, our park in a year. And that's, that's the same as Yosemite. That's only in three months because our park about 90% of our park is closed in the the winter months. Yeah. So we have like a giant influx of people that come in, in the summer and, you know, to the point where they've, they've instituted these uh, ticketed entry systems And the first year, it was um, only on going to the Sun Road. And then the next year, it was on the the west side of the park at the the North Fork entrance. And now they're going to have it on pretty much every entrance, um, including the east side. And I remember when they first came out with it, how kind of upset I was. And because, you know, you're used to having all this freedom – and you're used to being able, being able to go in and out as you please and, you know, enjoying these public spaces. And I remember being really upset at first. And after I thought about it and after I had gone through that um, that first summer, they did the ticketed entry system. I was like, you know what? This is probably best for the park, best for the land and the animals that we we do limit the amount of people that – are going through there every summer and it also provides a uh, a better experience for everybody who's in the park because you don't have bumper to bumper traffic up going to the sun road or you know you don't have parking lots that are you know so full that people are parking on the side of the road and places they're not supposed to and so I've 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 done a 180 on the the ticketed entry system and I I I appreciate it because I, I would rather, rather we do that and, um, preserve the park as it is and, um, keep it available for future generations than be selfish and want to be able to go in and out as I please. So, um, yeah, it is tough. How do we, how do we, how do we educate people to, to, uh, to respect these places, where you know you and I have grown up and because of that you know it's our home and we love it and we're we're able to you know put that in perspective and do what's right for the the land and the the spaces but you know some other people that aren't from here and they move here or they they come here and visit and don't respect it as much as you know you or I would it's it's tough to see i know my brother and i were uh, shooting at Lake McDonald and Glacier uh, er- earlier this this spring, and uh, we saw a guy take his drone out and put it on the ground, and he's just about to launch it. And we said something to him, and we're like, "Dude, these are you can't have Dude. these in parks. Like, you can get a fine, you can get kicked out. Um, they're not not legal in parks." And he go, "Oh, okay." And we we walk. Down the shore, about thirty yards, and sure enough, we hear, and there goes the drone out over the lake, and we're just like, Dude. oh man! So even Dude. even if you educate people, there's there's still people out there that are like,
0: yeah,
1: I don't care, I'm gonna do this because I I'm gonna get the shot that nobody else is gonna mm-hmm. get. So I don't know, it's it, tough.
0: It is it is tough because. I'm not not trying to like be a gatekeeper. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to make sure the lands stay protected. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you feel the same way. I'm like, not trying to say it's all mine. You guys yeah. can't have it. That's not yeah. what I'm trying to do. Like, yeah, the ticket of entry. We had that in Yosemite for the last three years. I've been happy with that. Yeah, very happy. And this is the first year that they're gonna take it back. Oh they really? Take it away. Yeah. Wow. So they're gonna reinstitute it for Firefall. Because that is insane. Crazy. They block yeah. off certain parking lots because people park everywhere. I got trapped one time because they p- parked illegally. It's yeah
1: insane,
0: man. And so they took it away. So I'm a little upset about that. So I'm kind of curious about how it's going to be. I mean, I don't spend much time in the valley in the summertime anyways because mm-hmm. of how crazy it is. I don't want to get mad. <laughs> so yeah. I'll go. Yeah. I'll go to the backside. because have this road called Tioga Road. And that's where I spend most of my time on all those hikes. And they're a lot longer. So most people aren't going to do those hikes anyways. So I probably won't see anybody. And even if I do see people, it's going to be legit people who are already respecting the land, which is cool. Yeah. But so something I wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite photo you've taken? Is there a favorite
1: one or is it too hard to pick? Um. It's kind of hard to narrow it down to just one, but I, I, I do have a few that I would, I would call my favorite just from like the story behind the photo, you know, that's what I was going to say.
0: If you can find a favorite, tell me one that holds the most best memory.
1: Yeah. So one of my, one of my favorites, um, there's this really, really neat old barn that's sits at the foot of the, the mountains in our area. And it's a pretty popular spot for uh, people to get, get photographs. And um, it's off this, just off the highway down this dirt road. And there's, um, you know, there's like uh, farmer's fields on either sides of it. And the, the, uh, the barn's out in the field and you get a nice backdrop with the mountains behind it. And so I, I would park there and I was walking down the road and, you know, trying to line up a a shot and the, the, uh, I'm not sure if it was like an alfalfa field or what, but the, the grass hadn't been cut and it was, you know, probably chest height on me and I'm walking and all of a sudden, um, like I see this, there's a, a little tiny airport nearby that, uh, um, is for, you know, small, small planes. And there's this plane that's kind of circling the over the barn, and it keeps flying over. And um, I'm like, "Oh, I'm gonna get it right when it flies over the barn and I get a nice shot of the the barn, mountains, plane." And so I'm I'm walking down the road, and uh, all of a sudden, I spook these deer out of the the grass, and they take off running out towards the barn. And, uh, it's like right as the plane flies over. And so I got this really awesome shot of the deer in the foreground and then the barn in the middle ground. And then you got the, uh, mountains in the background and then there's this plane hanging out in the sky right above it all. And I do, ju- I just love it because it's, you know, it wasn't planned and, um, I don't think I could have, you know, tried to plan something better myself, but, I think it just goes to show you that, uh you never know when, when you're going to get that great shot, you know, a lot of it might happen by accident and, uh, you just have to, have to put yourself in the position and be out there. And, um, I think like those once in a lifetime shots will come to you if you're just out there and put yourself in that position.
0: I a hundred percent agree. You see all these professional photographers, It's a banger every time, man. You're like, dude, how did these guys just keep capturing bangers? Well, first of all, they have the skills to be able to capture these shots. Mm -hmm. Second of all, they're able to spend days on end at these locations. They might go to the same spot five times, and they're there at the right place, right time. It might be on the fifth day that they capture those perfect conditions. Yep. So I think half the battle is tuning your skills. The other half of the battle is being at the right place, right time. Yes. When the conditions might light up
1: because Mm -hmm.
0: conditions can make or break your photo. I mean, you can do the best editing in the world, but if you don't have great conditions, it's not going to do a whole lot. Right.
1: Yeah. I agree, man. Just half the battles, just being in the position to take the photograph and being in the right place, right time. Exactly. So, um, you know, that's what I try to do as well. I spent, I think I spent 35 days in, glacier this year um and you know got so many great photographs um you know i go to a location that i went to last year and it was kind of just meh but you know this year there was a moose there you know and there's always like i feel like you can always get a better better picture if you just kind of re- keep revisiting those those sites it's like there's always something extra or something different that can happen that'll give you a a different photo, a more unique photo, and uh, it's just about getting out there.
0: I agree 100%. I've been to some locations many times in a row. I've gotten a shot I've been happy with almost every time. I look at the shot, okay, why didn't it do – also, why didn't it do good? So Mm -hmm. I go back another time, I try it differently, I try it differently, try it differently until you finally – or in that right spot to take that photo. And then sometimes the conditions light up too. So you've taken it yeah. 20 times. Yeah. Conditions weren't good. Yeah. You messed up the exposure. You messed up the comp. And then you come on that 21st time. You you know what you're going to take. And then the conditions light up on top of it. It's just, it, to me, it seems like it all plays together into one.
1: Mm-hmm. You said
0: you spent 35 days. And that leads me into to this. The splash water effects on some of your photos, man. You're pretty much famous for that on your account, Instagram account. It's epic. So are you the one throwing the rocks or is that your brother doing that? So
1: that's me. And it's, okay. it's,
0: <laughs> dude. I mean,
1: I, you're famous for it, man.
0: You're like, yeah. that's one of your, that's one of your trademarks at this point.
1: I do. I do love doing the water drop photography. I think it, I don't know. It just kind of, you go to a, a location and it's like, okay, a thousand people today have taken the same photo standing from the, the beach here at the lake looking at the mountains it's like how can how can i make a more interesting more unique shot and so i think that's a really really easy way to um to do that and it's it's all done by me so i I get a lot of questions (laughs) while i'm taking the photos because it probably looks so awkward as i'm you know holding my camera inches from the water trying not to like get it submerged and at the same time um, the, the depth of field is so shallow that it's like, I'm dropping stuff from the top, trying to get the splash in the right spot. And like when I first started doing it, I, pro- <laughs> I probably <laughs> would take a thousand photos just to get one, you know, I've kind of dialed in my process a little bit more, but okay. um, at the first time it was like, it was, <laughs> it was a, not a fun time when I'd come back and have to cull through photos to try and find yeah that you know that perfect shot
0: Mm -hmm. you know i could imagine that i mean i've never thought about it like that i mean i'm always trying to take unique shots of all these locations i mean i live next to yosemite sequoia i mean every shot that you can think of has been taken man almost every shot and then you try to just find something just a little bit different to make it your own shot first of all it's always going to be your own shot because you took it Mm -hmm. but second of all you can add an element change the comp just a tad bit to make it your yeah. own so I like the idea of adding that splash effect in there because I know photographing lakes can be a hard one to make your own composition because
1: mm-hmm.
0: especially if you're in an area where like the trees and the bushes are not a lot close by where the lake opens up for the balance in the background yeah so adding that little texture foreground with the splash that yeah makes a lot of sense that's clever man I like your thought process behind that and I, I know I had to ask that was like that's <laughs> one of my number one questions I wanted to ask you, I mean, every time I see it, I'm like, oh, that's Jordan. one yep. else does it. I don't know who else would do it. You're the only <laughs> one that does that, man.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like you said, when you go to a lake, it's like, sometimes it's hard to, uh, a lot of the times I'll kind of try to get back and be like, okay, how can I use the trees or the foliage to frame the shot? You know, or how did, <clears> how can I make the foreground more interesting? <clears throat> but sometimes it's you know the the setting just doesn't doesn't lend itself to that so i i i do the the splash to make it a little more interesting so i used to think that you were only
0: a photographer i knew you like you posted like reels and stuff like that but i didn't realize <laughs> how much you were in the video which i think is awesome and i'm just kind of curious when you go to these locations, are you going for photography or for video? Or do you kind of just go and say, I'm going to do both? Or are you saying, all right, this is a photography trip. This is a video trip. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not talking about like days for work. I'm just talking about your fun days.
1: Yeah. Um, it's usually a mixture of both. I think uh, if, if you've ever seen me on the, the trail, I probably look a little odd because you know if I'm hiking I've got my you know one camera clipped to my my pack that's got you know my my wide to mid-range lens I've got my camera with my 1 to 400 telephoto slung around my my chest and then I might be wearing a GoPro you know that's videoing yeah (laughs) sometimes I get a little overzealous and just trying to be like okay I need to be I need to like capture everything on this trip just so I can remember it and ha- and all the yeah. memories. And, um, so a lot of the times I might have three cameras out at once, um, and just be constantly rotating through them. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the GoPro for a, an easy wide, you know, sweeping shot of a, uh, mm-hmm. a hike, you know, cause we're in a bowl and it, you know, the mountains are towering above us. Um, or, you know, switch to my, my, my mid range lens and get some shots of my, my brother or somebody hiking. Um, and then the telephoto, maybe zoom in on a, on yeah. a, uh, a, a mountain peak, but I, I'm constantly rotating through the, the photo and video too. So it's like one, one camera photo, one camera video, next camera video, you know? So I, I feel like I try to, try to keep a good balance. Um, so it's, yeah, usually when I go out, it's not, not, um, not really focused on one thing in particular, unless it's, um, you know, going out to, to shoot a Milky way shot or, you know, to do Northern lights or something like that where I, or a bucket list shot where there, you know, there have been times where I've been like, okay, I've seen a photo of this place from here, but what would it look like from up here? And I'll make a note, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's in my little bucket list um, notes. And uh, I might go out and try to, you know, capture that, that shot, how I imagined it. And a lot of the times I come away, you know, feeling really happy because I came up with the idea and planned it and, you know, waited months for the, the conditions to line up and go and do it. So a lot of the times it's it's photo and video, but sometimes, you know, you go out with a purpose and you do wanna, you know, check one of those bangers off your bucket list.
0: Yes, sir. So what is your gear setup like? Are you a Sony user? Are you Canon? And what cameras are you using? What I heard you mentioned your mid rate lunge and your telephoto. Um what's your setup like?
1: Yeah, so I shoot all Sony. Um, I Team have a, Sony you, let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a Sony a seven three, which is kind of just like my backup camera. Now. Um, I've got the Sony a seven four, which is my main camera. Um, that one's a, you know, beast with photos and I have for, it right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Love then it. for, for video, I will use my Sony a seven S3. That thing's got 240, Frames a second, slow motion. So you get some beautiful shots with that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So nice, bro. So nice. And uh, like my lenses, I, two lenses I primarily use are um, my Tamron. uh, It's a, I think it's a 28 to 75. That's like my, my kind of wide to mid uh, lens that's on my, on my camera 80% of the time. And then, like I said, that, that camera that I have. On my chest is usually the the one to four hundred on the A seven three, you know, just in case a mm. a bear scamper's out in the trail or something. I just want to be want to be quick to be able to grab a photo of it. And then for night shots, a lot of my astro photos are done with. Uh, I have a Samyang twelve millimeter, and um, it's a f two and it's manual focus. So getting the stars to to be like crispy and in focus is really easy it's awesome it's like it has a dial on it you can you can set it to um, focus to infinity and so your stars are always super crispy and sharp and that the f2 keeps the uh, um the stop down so that you can you know keep your iso Ooh, down yeah. so it's it's nice i get some nice shots with that
0: so this leads to me one of my last questions does gear matter
1: yeah I think it, it does. And it doesn't, um, I think you can, if you have the, the skills, you can make exceptional work out of, um, you know, gear that might not be very expensive. Um, but you know, there's the other side of it where you can, you can do a lot more with a, a camera that has more features, um, and uh one of the things I love is slow motion. And I think that comes from filming sports for so long. Oh yeah. And uh so that the two hundred and forty frames per second slow motion on the, the A7S three is just that's my bread and butter. Like a lot of the times I'm I'm filming at two forty if I'm gonna film at all.
0: That's and so nice.
1: Like Yeah. And I just think like having Having those, uh, those different options and those different things available to you creatively helps you tell a story um, in different ways. And so, you know, you might – I'll go back to the power of video and, uh, you know, if you've ever seen like a s- slow motion shot set to some beautiful music, that – will probably evoke a different emotion than, um, you know, something shot in 30 frames a second to a different piece of music. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm not going to give you a definitive yes or no gear matters. I think it's, it's up to the individual and, um, you can, you can make a lot happen with less, but you can make more happen with more. I guess would be my answer. I know the
0: common saying is uh gear doesn't matter
1: until it does. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um
0: I try to explain to other people that you don't have to buy the best lens. So I have the G Master series and the only reason I bought I kept buying G Masters because I bought really expensive ND filters that fit oh. my my 24 to 70. I bought the Peter McKinnon ones, right? Mm-hmm. and those are not cheap right? <laughs> yeah so i'm not trying to buy a tamron wide angle lens and have to buy a whole new set of filters that are going to cover that that thread so i ended right. up buying the g master 16 to 35 lens mm-hmm. so i can use the same filters on the same lenses yeah and maybe i maybe i could have saved money by buying a cheap filter and a cheaper lens but i just wanted to keep it all the same and uh, yeah make it flow nice but Dude, my a lot of my friends shoot on Tamron. I the pictures you can't tell the difference.
1: No, it's like only oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, a like food critics. Like there's only I feel like there's only a certain percentage of people in the population that are going to be able to tell and be like, oh no, the edges aren't sharp as sharp as like a G Master lens. This must have been I, a Tamron. But oh yeah, I have watched know,
0: the breakdowns of those. I'm like, bro, how did you even right know right.
1: that? Yeah. <laughs> I watch them too. And the the only thing they teach me is that I don't care that much. Like, all right, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm still going to shoot yeah. with this and, um, get high quality photos out of it. That's awesome, man. So
0: closing out, what advice would you give to a beginner creative, whether it's photographer, or videographer? I mean, I've been at it technically for five years, but seriously maybe for the last two maybe. what would you say to someone just starting out they picked up their first camera or maybe they haven't yet what would you tell them like what advice would you give them you've been at it for many
1: years yeah I think I don't know part of it loops back to my, my story about the deer and the the plane and the, the barn and it just comes down to getting out and shooting and putting yourself in the position to, to get the good shots. And, um, if you want to look at it like in a business sense, um, it, what helps me stay passionate about, um, wildlife and landscape photography, but also make a living at it is having, um, you know, two sides to my, to my business where I, you know, I, I do film for corporations and I do, you know, kind of the, the video work that's not, not as fun and not as, I might not be as passionate about it, but it helps me support my passions. And so, you know, I started, started with sports highlight films for free for my high school and, you know, worked my way up. I was doing weddings and then, you know, got, got hooked up with a guy and you know, started doing documentaries and it just kind of grew from there. And I would just say, if you're passionate about it, just, just keep doing it, you know, find somebody else who's, who's passionate about it. And you, you'll both kind of rely on each other. You'll both motivate each other. A lot of the times when I'm not thinking about going and taking photos, my brother's like, Hey, let's go shoot. And I'll be like, okay, you know, and vice versa. And, So having, having a buddy, an accountability buddy to, to get you, uh, up and moving and out taking photos is really helps as well. I think that's a huge part of it.
0: A lot of people don't talk about that part the accountability buddy. So my girlfriend, she's not in the photography. She's not in the video, but she knows how much I like it. Yeah. So there's days when I'm not motivated, I'm not inspired, but yeah, she's like, Nick, you got to go. Yeah. Like in order for you to get recharged and be inspired again, you actually have to go out there and take those photos to feel inspired again. Yeah. What happens when I go out there and take photos and I'm out in nature, I come back home I'm all excited. All right, let's go. I'm yeah. ready for the next time I'm ready. Let's go, baby. I'm ready. So, I'm excited.
1: So how many times did she have to uh, inspire you for your your uh, hundred sunrises? Oh. <sighs> bro a lot she's not
0: a morning person she's not a morning person either so she is an angel for that she sleeps on the way up there she doesn't like the morning but she goes to me because one she wants to make sure i don't die on the hikes sure (laughs) and two she just wants to make sure that she's there to support me and make sure i get it done so Mm -hmm. i think having her there to help me out with that was huge and i'm also glad that it's over because (laughs)
1: yeah
0: i can now go i can now go to the mountains. And be more intentional, and focus on telling more stories. just sure. going up there because I have to go watch a sunrise. Even though it was fun, I mean, right. I was able to see a lot more sunrises than I would have ever gone to see. Yeah. So, closing this out. Where can the people find you on Instagram? Are you on TikTok?
1: I am. Yep, yeah. I'm on Instagram. Okay. I'm on Facebook, TikTok. Um and i have a youtube channel that doesn't have much on it but i think uh, my brother and i are going to be adding some more stuff we've got some things that we're planning this this year we're working on a fly fishing film right now and i think we might work on some other short films throughout the year so any of those any of those things you can find me on what's the app for tiktok or instagram tiktok I think they're all Jordan Leffler. So Jordan you, Leffler. Yep. If you type in my name, uh, Instagram is at Jordan Leffler. Facebook is Jordan Leffler, Montana adventure photographer. TikTok is uh, Jordan Leffler photo is my TikTok. And then my YouTube is Jordan Leffler. Awesome, man.
0: Jordan, thanks again for coming on here. This, you're my first podcast host. I know. Oh, you're my first podcast interviewee, so I'm happy that you were the first one. I was excited because you're not from where I live, so I really wanted to get your perspective on things. I mean, you live in an awesome place, and keep posting those great photos, man. I mean, you inspire me, and I'm probably going to be asking you questions later
1: on to business advice, stuff like that, because I'm just joining joining your world right now. Yeah. Awesome, Nick. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm honored that I'm your first guest. Seriously, dude, this is awesome. So I hope... Hope this takes off for you and you get some more more awesome people on here and um, this turns out to be a really cool thing.